uh, in all the names of God, and, uh, and I've learned some of them over time, and, and they're all in Scripture. You can see them. All the names I noticed that never was God referred to as the God of prosperity. I never heard of him referred to as the God of prosperity. I think that we created that, and this prosperity idea is really an excess of a very biblical principle. God wants us to prosper. He wants us to move forward. He wants to be able to bless us to be a blessing. He wants to be able to to resource us to be a resource to somebody else. I, I believe he wants to do that, but prospering for the sake of the kingdom is not the same as prosperity for the sake of self. Those are two different things. And we as God's people have a tendency to take a very biblical principle and make it selfish. Thank you for those strong amens. Look, I'll preach myself happy over the next 30 minutes if I need to. It's okay. Um, we, we have a, a tendency to take a very biblical principle and then exaggerate it over into a selfish endeavor. And when we do that, we deny the power of what God was actually attempting to say. So the Bible never says that one of the names of God is the God of prosperity. But it does say that one of the names of God is the God of provision. And it also says that one of the names of God is the God of peace. And so those names are what I felt led Wednesday morning to write a message on and film before the storm about the God that I serve even in the storm. I didn't know when we were writing on Tuesday, and sometimes I have a hard time hearing from God. Sometimes I don't hear my wife. Anybody else guilty? Just wave. Sometimes I just don't hear other things and other people, and sometimes it's hard for me to hear from God. I will spend hours in front of my computer trying to figure out what he wants me to say to you. This was not one of those times. I sat down, and God just began to download this message. He's not just God in the storm. He's God over the storm. Okay, he's, he's not just God of the enemy, he's God over the enemy. And sometimes you've got to remind the storm who it's subject to. Sometimes you've got to remind your problems who they're subject to. Sometimes you've got to remind the powers and principalities of darkness themselves who they're subject to. Sometimes you've got to remind your flesh of who it's subject to. There's just these times where we need to remember who God is and what his name is so that we can be reminded of his character. Because his name is a representation of his character. So when the Bible says that one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh. Now, I didn't really understand. I didn't even know that, like, often growing up. It's actually, it's, I have this old song, and some of you are going to know it. It's one of those <clears throat> songs. You know, there's some good songs, but then there's some songs they just got some <clears throat> You know, And this old song... Somebody wrote in regards to what God had already said, and it went, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And I was like, whoo, is that, did she make that up? Man, that was good. Now, then I realized it was in the Bible the whole time. Jehovah Jireh was the name of God that was revealed to Abraham when he put his son Isaac on the altar. 
The Bible says that the hand of Abraham came down and the angel of the Lord stopped him right before he slayed his son. There's a lot of explanations of this, but one of the things that I see there is that sometimes God wants us to put our gifts on the altar of sacrifice so that we can remember where they came from. So that we won't put our faith in our gifts or what he's given, we'll put our faith in who he is, the giver, not the gift. So we find our fulfillment in the provider, not in the promise. And Abraham needed to put that promise on the altar so that he could remember who the provider really was. Another thing, just as an addendum, that God was revealing to Abraham in a society that thought it was okay to sacrifice children for selfish pleasure. Kind of like America from 1970 and on. That we live in a society that thinks it's okay to sacrifice children for selfish pleasure. And God was reminding Abram, this man who lived around all kinds of people who would sacrifice children to dead gods. And we do the same thing today. We sacrifice children to a dead desire that really can't fulfill. Now listen, if you've, if you've been a part of or you know somebody that has lost a child or even sacrificed or surrendered a child early, I'm not here to condemn you today. I'm not here to beat you up today. I believe that God is the God of restoration and he doesn't just restore the things that other people take from you. Sometimes he restores the things that you take from yourself in ignorance before you begin to follow him. So I've got my eyes fixed on eternity and I know that nothing lost in this life can't be found and restored in the next as long as Jesus is the one leading me there but God needed to show Abram I don't need you to sacrifice your children I'm going to give you my son and this sacrifice is going to atone for all the other sacrifices this sacrifice is going to cover, and it was in that moment that a, a lamb was coming up the other side of the hill and got stuck in the bushes, and he turned around, and he said, the Lord has, he said, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord has provided. The next name in that song, actually, Jehovah Nisi, and it means the Lord, our banner. It is the flag that we wave in the midst of worship. It is the weapon that we hold in the midst of worry. It is the banner that we show in the middle of the battle. Jehovah Nisi is waving his banner right now in the parking lot of Glad Tidings Church in the middle of Lake Charles through people who are there to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus is waving the banner of Jehovah Nisi through people that go down and begin to get in the middle of everything, the boots on the ground, that go and don't know what they're going to do, but they know that God is going to use them to do something. It is the banner of God that we wave in the middle of the battle that we can be reminded that even victims can be victorious and even those who worry can actually worship their way out see we don't put our faith in old glory we put our faith in the wind that makes old glory wave we put our faith in the spirit behind everything that we put our substance in Jehovah Nisi is God's rallying point for the means of victory. He is our banner. He is the one who goes before us. 
And write this down so I'll move on. If God goes before us, then no thing can destroy us. If he's leading the way, then the thing or the person has to go through him in order to get to me. So the storm is still subject. The enemy is still subject. And when God is with me, no thing can destroy me. Final name. This is where we're going to hang our hat today. I've just been warm up preaching. I hope that's okay. Jehovah. Three people said it is. Everybody else is hungry. Just hang on. We'll get you out of here. Jehovah. Shalom. The Lord. Our peace. And remember, I was writing this on Tuesday. Uh, I didn't know that God was going to shift that storm 30 miles from the coast, send it back east, and lower the surge that would have been record in destruction. I know that a lot of people still suffered some destruction. But listen, we can't persecute God when bad things happen if we're not praising him when good things happen. It's, it's, it's not just for us to only call out to God when everything goes wrong if we haven't been calling out to him when everything was going right for us. In other words, we got to learn how to praise him whether we realize what he's done or not. And when you learn how to pray, let me tell you a story. So uh, it was Gabriel, he was, y'all, Gabriel weighed over 30 pounds at one year old, okay? He's now six he still weighs 47 pounds. The kid has gained 15 pounds in six years. It's an anointing. I, haven't, I, I did the same thing, and this is why mostly I look like a stick and most good, you know. Anyway, so Gabriel, he was, he was a heavy kid. He's big boned. Okay? God stretched him, and he's still growing. But when he was, when he was little, he was chunky, and, and, uh, and he thought that he could fly. See, it had no, like most kids are born with, with two fears. Um, it, one of them is like darkness, and then the other one is falling, or, or loud noises. Or like, hey, you, know, you can get them with those, those main fears, like crashing sounds, or darkness, they don't really like darkness, and then, and then the, the fear of falling. Not Gabriel. Gabriel only got two or three, is what I was trying to say. So Gabriel's crawling out of this bounce house, and bounce houses, they, they blow up real tall. And we didn't get the, like, baby size one. We were like, no, no, no. If we're going to have fun, we're going to have fun. Right? Like, I want to jump, too. Come on. <laughs> and so we got the one that could handle some weight. And Gabriel was in there, and he decided to go out head first. And he was crying. I saw him. I was like, he's not going to. Yeah, he is. And so I start making my way towards him. And he begins to fall. And what he does, I don't know where we learned how to swim in the air. But that's what he began to do. He was swimming in the air. And I got there, and I literally I put my hand under his head and grabbed his clothes with my other hand. And his head, the only thing between his head and the floor was my hand. And then so I, I picked him up by his clothes. You know, you've done that to a kid. Don't act. Don't judge me. You've done this too. That's why he has long hair for when I can't grab his back here. So that's what you hold on to, right? So I had his clothes, and I, I stood him back up, and he looked up at me, and he just smiled and ran off. I was like, you have no idea. I just saved your life. You're welcome. I wonder how many times God grabbed you 
right before it all fell apart. And you don't even realize it. But when you begin to worship God and praise God for the things that you don't know, it will develop something inside of you that allows you to worship through the things that you do know. Even sometimes despite the things. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. We see this name come to pass in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, the Midianites are stealing from the Israelites. Now, here's the weird thing. They were supposed to be friends. Like, they were related. They were family. But hear me. The devil discovered a long time ago that if he can break up family, he can break up kingdoms. And so he began his attack and his assault on the family, on the husband, on the wife, on the mother, on the daddy. And he's still to this day trying to break up families because he knows that if he can break up families, then he can break up kingdoms. And that's what was taking place in the Midianites and the Israelites. And the Israelites were scared to death for their own lives. It was a struggle. And instead of facing that devil and facing that division and facing that enemy, which God has given you the ability to do no matter what your situation looks like, the Israelites decided to hide from it. They decided to cower down and just take care of themselves. And we see one of the Israelites who was supposed to be the judge of the entire nation of Israel, his name is Gideon. He was hiding in a cave, threshing wheat for himself. In his hiding, God begins to remind him of his calling. See, I need to help you understand what God is stirring in me today and, and what it seemed like first and second service we're beginning to comprehend as well is that your condition is subject to your calling if you let it be. Your calling is only subject to your condition if you allow it. And so God came in to Gideon's condition and he reminded him of his calling. He reminded him that it doesn't matter what the enemy is doing, what the world is doing, what everybody else is doing. God looked in and saw Gideon's condition and he spoke into his calling. He said, Gideon, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And like you, Gideon was like, he's talking to somebody else. I mean, that's a good message for somebody. <laughs> that ain't me. Gideon said, Lord. Now, you got to think. I mean, have you ever, I used to play hide and seek a lot. Oh, get real. I still play hide and seek a lot. Because I get asked to, so I'm trying to take advantage of the moments to make some memories. And, and, and I, I love whenever my child doesn't know that I know where they're hiding. And, and I like to let them get comfortable in the place that they're hiding. So that at just the last minute, I can tear the curtain off of that place. And I can remind them that I'm their daddy and they can't hide from me. That I know right where they are. 
And so I can see in Scripture that Gideon, one of God's children, was hiding from him. But all of a sudden, the seeker became the finder. And the finder began to speak something into that which he was seeking. And the seeking was a prophet with a promise that a nation of people needed to hear once again. I believe that God wants to rip the veil. Come on, somebody. Tear the curtain down off of your hiding place and remind you, despite your condition, that the calling of God is irrevocable and without repentance no matter the storm or the situation or the trial we can trust him see God said to Gideon mighty man of valor and Gideon said to God Lord I'm the weakest of the smallest I'm the lowest of the weakest but God looked at Gideon and said I don't just see you where you are. I see you as I created you to be. I don't just see you where you've decided to be, hiding from me in a cave. I, I see you where I've destined you to be, which is on the front line, leading an army to attack against the enemy. And we pick up this passage and Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 16, the Lord said, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. As one man. Verse 17, then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. Isn't it just like a Christian? For God to speak and us to talk back. Lord, if this is you, trying to get me to lift my hands in front of all these people. Lord, if this is you trying to tell me to trust you even with my finances, Lord, if this is you wanting me to give above and beyond what is normally required to support Convoy of Hope, God, I'm going to need you to write in the clouds an L and a C for Lake Charles because I need you to show me Jesus. Nope, that's not an L, that's a J. Maybe it means Jesus. I don't know what to believe anymore. God, I need you to multiply money in my pocket like you did manna for the Israelites. I need to know that it's you trying to show me something. How come every time God says something, we ask him for a sign in order to believe what he already said? See, the problem with needing a sign to believe what he said is that even when he gives the sign, you'll still doubt what he said, the sign, because you're doubting the said. What God is saying is, listen, I've already said it. You don't need a sign. If you'll just put your faith in what has already been spoken, then the signs will just be a confirmation for you of what I've already done and what I'm about to do. In fact, if you'll put your faith in the spoken instead of the signs, then I will take you and use you as a sign to somebody else that needs to believe like you do I'll use you as a sign Gideon didn't get it he said Lord show me a sign that is you who talks with me well who else is going y'all listen Lucifer will never ask you for an offering can I just release you right now the devil will never ask you to serve I'm telling you right now he will not he will never ask you to worship Jesus, ever, never, ever. But God will require, and he will call. He says, do not depart from here, I pray, 
until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. Verse 22 says, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Verse 23 says, then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. See, I was I was writing this on on Wednesday. And as a husband and a daddy and a pastor. I had to encourage myself. Because I didn't know what that storm was going to do. I didn't know what it was going to do to our house. I didn't know what it was going to do to my family. The families that I thought were going to stay with us and take refuge. But we split out like ants when that thing was coming strong. (laughs) I didn't know what the weekend was going to bring to pass. And I sat yesterday with some friends who were truly suffering some of the worst of the storm. And I realized that this word was not for me, it was through me. And I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I I just feel like God interrupted our series. He messed up our plan. And he's splitting our system because he wants to reveal his spirit in the middle of the storm. He wants to reveal his faithfulness through the trial and remind you peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Even if this storm takes you from this life into the next, the enemy cannot take something from you that he did not give to you. If you don't put your faith in the temporary, then the enemy can't have it. When you place your faith in the things that only the creator and the heavenly father have access to, then you don't have to worry about any of the other things that the enemy tries to take from you. And that's easy to say when my house is healthy. But it's harder to remember when I'm sitting with my friends. Verse 24, the Bible says Gideon built an altar. In other words, he worshiped over his worry. He didn't just cry out, he called out. And he built an altar and he named that altar. Sometimes... In the middle of your anxiety, you got to build an altar and you got to name it. And you need to remind that moment of who it serves. You got to remind that moment of who God is in that moment. You've got to remind that storm. You've got to remind your spirit. You've got to remind your flesh. You got to remind your family. You got to remind your city. You got to remind your finances. You got to remind your energy. You got to remind your pain. You got to remind your problem. You got to remind your trial that you built an altar and you already applied the name of God to that altar. So whatever was trying to raise up against the altar now has no authority because you already positioned 
the proper authority in that place. He named the altar Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. And to this day, Oprah is recognized. <laughs> it's still the same to this day. On the hills of God revealing himself to you is always an opportunity to praise him for who he is and for who he has been. And I wanted to preach this part heavy. I actually was when I was writing it, but every time that I've communicated it, I've just said it softly because I want you to know and understand in the solitary, in the solitary, not just the energized, not just the emotional, but in the simple place, you can have his peace in the middle of your problem. You can experience his provision in the middle of your sacrifice. You can wave his banner in the middle of your battle. He is the source in the middle of your storm. He is faithful in the middle of that which is. It's not when it gets fixed that he is faithful. No, no, no. He is faithful right in the middle. Now, this is just a reference. I'm not going to go to the scripture. But if you look at Matthew chapter 4, you see the disciples in the middle of a storm. You see them in a boat with Jesus. But Jesus and the disciples are not doing the same thing. The disciples were doing something different than Jesus. Jesus was resting in his father, in the middle of the storm, because he understood that he didn't need God to fix it to be found faithful. He could rest in his father when everything was falling apart all around. But the disciples, they didn't understand this principle. And so they got on Facebook and Instagram and they started twitting, tweeting. Come on, some of y'all don't even know what I mean. Like, if I can't vent to nobody else, I'll just vent to everybody else. I'll vent to anybody that will listen. Send me someone to let know how I feel. I will let them know. That's what they were doing. Man, they were losing their minds. Now, I see some of them, man, they're angry. They're audacious, right? They're, they're just hollering and screaming and fussing. And then I see some of them, it's probably John. John seemed a little sensitive. Like, I mean, he's laying on the chest of Jesus at dinner. Like, get off me, man. Come on. Man, we, God, bless me. <laughs> John, John is sensitive. He's, he's laying down in the boat too, but, but he's not resting. He's in the fetal position. He's crying. He, and he's not crying out to nobody. He's just crying. He's broken. He's upset. Judas over in the corner counting the money like, I don't know if we ever going to get out of this. Peter's yelling at somebody that ain't even done nothing to him. And the rest of them are just struggling to get through. And somebody in the midst of this storm, somebody thinks to wake Jesus up. 
Somebody thinks to stop crying about their storm and start calling to their Savior. Somebody realizes that all the pandemics can take place and the murder hornets can come and the economy can fall apart and the election can attempt to divide the church and cities can storm upon one another and races can get confused about the blood that truly covers them. But somebody stopped focusing on their storm and crying about their storm and decided we need to wake up the Savior. And Jesus wakes up. And he says, peace, be still. And his disciples go, he is the Lord even over the storm. Like they just forgot about all the dead people he raised and all the sick people that he healed. Isn't it funny how we can forget what he's done and who he is? Whenever we go through something that he actually wants to reveal himself in, through the storm, his disciples had to learn. I I just believe if the armed forces can follow a general into battle, if first responders can follow the orders of a captain into battle, if an athlete can follow a coach into a supposed battle. It's really just a game. But if people can follow people, then listen to me, sons and daughters of God. This is not a condemnational statement. We can follow Jesus into battle. Not just when the storm is over, but we can find peace in the problem. We can find the source in that. Now, see, now it means something. We can find the source in the storm. We can wave the banner in the battle because he's not just God of the mountain. He's not just God of the good times. Come on, he's God of the valley. He's God of the hard times. He's not just God of the fixed. No, he's God of the fire. But somebody has got to build an altar in order for him to reveal himself in the middle of the fire. It's called trust through the trial. Anybody, anybody can trust God after the trial's over. Anybody can trust God after everything's fixed. Now, again, sometimes we have no problem griping at God when things don't work out. And yet we have a little bit of a problem remembering to give God glory when they do work out. So if everything falls apart, it's God's fault. But if we're covered and we don't experience the same devastation as somebody else, well, it just worked out. Well, I'm glad it just worked out. See, when I was praying Tuesday, I was 
I like to pray like extravagantly. Like if you're going to pray, go ahead and pray audacious. Like pray out of the box. Like I don't pray God shrink the tumor. I pray God make the tumor fall off in the doctor's hands before he can even touch it with a knife. Like just pray audacious. So I didn't pray that God would turn the storm. Like, Jesus, let it hit Texas. God bless, don't let it hit us. Go turn it. Hurt somebody else. We just leave it. And I don't pray that. That's hateful. <laughs> they had a hurricane crawl through their city, turn around and come back last year. His name was Harvey, devil. No, no, no. I prayed God. Due to this storm, what you did last year, when it was coming right at us, and then all of a sudden, it just dispersed. Disperse this thing. And I heard people say, whew, I'm glad that thing broke up. Man, I'm glad that thing decided not to hit us. Hold up, what? <laughs> you think things work? No, 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 God said it's not time. God turned. But what, would he, what do we do when he doesn't turn it that way? Let me read you one more passage. I really wanted to, to try to edit this passage a little bit and not have to read the whole thing, but I believe that the power is in the fullness of what Paul is trying to say to the church in Corinth. See, you have to understand that Paul was writing to a people who were un undergoing legitimate persecution. Legitimate persecution. Like, the emperor put people on the stakes, set them on fire to light the streets kind of persecution. Like, the religious people weren't just against the Christians and the authentic relationship. They were a part of the persecution. They were hunting people down. They were going into homes and dragging people out. People like Justin Martyr, where we now get the term martyrdom or martyr from, which is when people lose their life because of their faith. Justin Martyr was murdered as an atheist. I didn't know that. I just read this the other day in a, in a, uh, in a book by Jeremiah Johnston, Dr. Jer uh, Justin Martyr was proclaimed as an atheist by the Romans and tortured to death because he refused to confess the gods of Greece and Rome. So if you did not confess to their polytheistic gods, their demigods and their mini-gods, then they believed you to be an atheist, and atheism was punishable by death. So they murdered Justin Martyr. It is in this environment that we refer historically to the dispersion of Diocletian, where what the emperor did to the people was such an injustice, so much tragic, so much tyranny, that it caused the Christians to disperse now, the enemy should have never done that because you don't break up the church and spread them all out like that because then when you get the church all spread out, a lot of other churches start to form and God begins to multiply it in a new way. So Paul is writing to those people who are being tortured for their faith, who are being, and here's what he says, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 4, 
We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're pressed, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, hunted down, but we're not abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but if God goes before us, then no thing can destroy us. Verse 10, through suffering. Hang on, I must not be reading that right. Because I thought he was God of prosperity and blessing and favor. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Verse 11, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. Man, we, we roll out the red carpet and can't get people to serve Jesus. America does not know persecution. We think if our lights don't come on for three days that we're being persecuted. Like, my God, my God, where's my Wi-Fi? What are we going to do? No, no, no. These people understood persecution. Not because they lived in this world, but because they refused to deny Jesus and not serve him, especially in the face of suffering. In fact, they counted suffering for him as part of the promise. Now, that's a novel idea for the Western church because we've been taught that he just wants us to prosper and not to harm. And those are truths and promises that we can stand on. But God is not stuck to our temporary perspective. And if we want to see as he sees, then we've got to see through the temporary and into the eternal. We live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Verse 12, so we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life. Verse 13, we continue to preach. Despite our problems, pains, or persecution, we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith as the psalmist when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. I don't need a sign. I know who I serve. Verse 14, we know that God who has raised Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus. Come on, if I was preaching out in the parking lot because our building was destroyed, I would read this scripture right now because I would tell you on Sunday what God told me on Wednesday. 
before the storm, in the storm, and after the storm. He is still God of the storm. He is God of my yesterday, my today, and my tomorrow. He is not subject to what is coming when he is God over everything that was and is and is to come. I'm not afraid of tomorrow because my God has already been there. And if I go with him, then I can't be overcome by whatever them I may face. I know that he'll raise me and present us to himself together with you. Verse 15, all of this is for your what? Benefit? Brokenness is for my benefit? Bondage and tyranny is for my benefit? May we lose our minds over an economy, over a politician, over an election. And I told you how I'm going to vote. And I told you why I'm going to vote how I'm going to vote. But I can promise you, in the name of Jesus, that if the vote doesn't go my way, he's still on the throne. I can promise you that if the policies don't go in my direction, that he's still on the throne. That he can take what the enemy meant for evil, as we're going to discover and continue to discover in this series. And he doesn't just turn it for good. He shoves it down the enemy's throne and makes him pay it back for good. It is for our benefit as God's grace reaches. It's all about See, if one person gets prayed with today because of that storm, like if, if one of the 15 people that left our church meets somebody that doesn't know God and they pray with them, just one, just, just one, how many more buildings do I have to tear down to save a soul? God will do whatever it takes. Even wait and watch us for as long as he has to. He'll do whatever it takes to add one more person. And when that happens, there will be great thanksgiving. And God, not Gideon, God, not people, not pastors. God will receive more and more glory. Watch this, verse 16. That is why we never give up. Because it's bigger than us. God has a purpose for the pit. He's got a solution to the storm. He's got a fix for the failure. Through our bodies, though our bodies are dying. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. Job said, though you slay me, I will praise you. Come on, it's one thing to praise God after everything's put back together. But can you praise him when it's all falling apart? 
can you praise him and lean into him and look for reason when everybody else is losing faith? And let your spirit be renewed every single day. When nobody else shows up. Verse 17, for our present troubles are small. They're not going to last very long. Now, we're just talking about cleaning up after a storm. Paul's talking to people who are losing their children because of their faith. Paul's talking to children who are losing their parents. Brothers and sisters who are losing their loved ones. He says, ah, this is small. You're being murdered for the name of Jesus. It's small. Small. Small problem. Little alligator, as y'all like to say. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. We don't look at those troubles, verse 18, we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We can be like Jesus in the middle of the storm when things are falling apart. We can fix the eyes of our spirit on our Father, and we can rest in Him no matter what's going on because of them. Or because of the world, or the storms, or the problems, or the pain. Fix our gaze on things cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. So I say this in closing. I can spend my life asking God why. God, why did this person, why have 70 million babies? God, why do we go through this? Why did this person get sick? God, why did this person not get healed? God, why was this person taken advantage of? God, why, why, why? I can spend my life asking why, or I can surrender my life and discover why. And I would rather surrender my life and discover why than spend my wheels asking why. Back to Judges chapter 7. You'll have to read it for, for yourself. And I want to encourage you when you read the Bible, like, like slow down a little bit and let God show you stuff. You know how like I'll, I'll, I'll break it down and tell you like goofy little things that I think of? That's not me. That's like God saying things to me. Like, oh, that's funny. Like letting God show me things that he has a perspective on but using my personality to show me his perspective. God wants to do that with you. And so we see in Judges chapter 7 that God told Gideon, hey, you got too many people. Gideon's like, I have 30,000. That's a lot of people, right? That's more people than in Eunice three times. That's a good number. But the Midianites, the Bible says, they had so many camels you couldn't even count them. Now, I don't know how many people can carry, be carried on a camel or if they were dragging wagons or they had multiple humps. I'm not sure what's going on, but the Bible said there was a lot of them. And the Bible says that, the, that there were people as numerous as the grasshoppers in the grass. Okay, that doesn't mean a whole lot to you because we don't have a whole lot of grasshoppers. We have some, but not as many. So just from South Louisiana standards, as many as the mosquitoes in the rice field. I'm going to help you out. 
Mosquitoes in the mud. And if you want to know that number, all you got to do is go out that door and walk across that field. I just did it recently. You will understand the number that we're dealing with. He said, as many as the sands on the seashores. Anybody understands that? And Gideon had 30,000. God says, that's too many. That's too much. See, if you have that many people and that much resource, then you'll become like America and give yourself credit for everything that you do. You'll become more patriotic than you are Christian. That's too many people. Gideon, I want you to go out and speak to the people. And I want you to tell them, if they're afraid, go home. Now, that's, that's, that's a bold statement. I mean, just imagine me right here before the storm. Hey, we're going to have a prayer meeting. And then you come up here. We all get in the sanctuary, and I stand right here, and I say, hey, if you're scared, get out. Don't want you here. I'm not doing that. Like, that says, I'm not going to do that. But Gideon did. And, and you would think, like, two or 300, right? Like, they leave. Like, you just, some of them just easily offended anyways. They barely got here. And so you say something like that. They were looking for a reason to leave. <laughs> like, you give them one, they gone. They ain't coming back either. Gideon says this, not 200. No, no, no tried 22,000. We call that a Gideon revival. Megan and I started one of those when we got here. Because when we came in August, it was about 200 people came and listened to me preach for the first time. By November, we had about 100. By January, 80 or 90, I thought, Gideon revival, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the things which thou art doing. Praise God, I've moved my family to Eunice to shrink a church. What an anointing I have upon my life. Me and Miss Sandra and Miss Debbie, we're going to win this city for the sake of the kingdom. Look at all those people going to church somewhere else. That is powerful. I just stand out here and wave. Y'all have a good Sunday. Gideon revival. They had 10,000 people after the Gideon revival. God said, that's too many. Shrink it some more. I was good at that. Like, hey, look, I can shrink stuff. I can run people off. I'm good at it. I'm telling you, it's a gift. That's my wife. Gideon stands and he tells them to go get a drink. And God says, hey, when they drink of the stream, I want you to watch and I want you to separate the ones that lap up the water like a dog. Because I can't use arrogance, but I can use an animal. I want you to, to designate the ones who, who, who drink the water and lap it up like a dog and, and drink it out of their hands from the ones who bow down on their knees and drink directly from the stream. What he's saying is, Gideon, I need you to focus in on the people that are actually looking at me. And I need you to separate the people that aren't interested in me. Because I can't use the ones that aren't interested. I'm going to have to separate them. I have to set them apart. And again, he's got 10,000. You'd think a couple of hundred, right? Oh, Gideon's like, hey, y'all go get a drink. Please lap like a dog. Please lap like a dog. Like, I ain't never met a girl and thought, man, I hope she laps like a dog. Like, I'd take Megan on a first date, but like, man, I hope she laps that food up like a dog right here in front of everybody. <laughs> I'm going to marry her right here in this restaurant. She laps it like a dog. But Gideon's praying, Lord, please let him lap like a dog. And he got some. But 9,700 of them, they left. God sent them home. Gideon's got 300. 
you would think that God is done. I mean, as a pastor, I'm like, okay, we've got to be ready. God says, I'm going to take all your toys. I'm going to take all your weapons. I'm going to close your buildings. And I want you to take your sword and your spear away from your 300 people, and I want you to give them a trumpet. And you've got 300 men mounted up for battle with trumpets. He says, take that spear and give them a clay pot with a light in it, also known in modern times as a lantern. And then I want you to go up against the Midianite army with so many camels you can't even count them. And I want you to blow your trumpet and smash your pots. You don't get to fight this battle, but you have to wave your banner. I'm going to take your sword. I'm going to take your spear. I'm going to take the things that you think you need in order to gain the victory that you want to win. And I'm going to replace it with a trumpet that you have to sound that can make a sound on earth and in heaven. I'm going to take your spear and replace it with the smashing of the things that you think you need in order to get by to the next day so that we when you blow your trumpet and when you smash your lantern, your light will shine so bright before the enemy that they will begin to scatter in confusion. The enemy will disperse and I will reveal myself because the light shines brightest in the darkness and the source streams greatest in the middle of the storm. You can trust him through the trial. And know that he is God. Jesus said, peace, be still. I can't help but think that he was quoting scripture. And he just stopped his statement. Be still and know that I am God. So my final question, and I'll let you pray. Will I give up? Or will I look up? Will I bow down on my knees and drop my head in exhaustion? Or will I lift my eyes unto the hills in expectation? Will I give up? Or will I look up in the battle, in the storm, in the problem? He's the God of provision he's the God of peace would you bow your head and close your eyes would you ask him don't fall asleep pray <laughs> don't dismiss yourself from the opportunity to hear a message downloaded and delivered and then just walk out of here and be better. Ask him, Lord, lift my head unto the hills where my help comes from. Lord, help me to see past the temporary and into the eternal. Help me to see past my problem and into my provider. 
God, use me as a sign for somebody else. Use me as a gift to reveal the giver. Lord, use me as the source for somebody's storm. And let me give you all the glory. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I have to ask, are you surrendered? Have you put your faith in a Savior? Have you called out to Jesus? Wake him up. Let him show you the rest that he has available for you in the Father, even in the midst of the failure. The forgiveness and the freedom that only he can offer. Would you give your life to Jesus today? Would you receive salvation and let him deliver you? Come on, if I'm talking to you today as the church is praying for you and everything that we've done up to this point was leading to this moment, would you open your hands in your lap? If you need to receive salvation today, if you need to really commit your life to Jesus today for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you just open your hands right where you are and posture yourself to receive? And church, I want to invite you to do the same and to pray this prayer out loud in support for anybody that needs to pray this, to make this confession right now. Come on, let's pray it together. Jesus, forgive me. I'm fallen. I need your help. Save me from this world, from the enemy, and from myself. Forgive me. I believe you died on the cross. You gave your life so that I could live. You were raised from the dead so I could be raised. Take my life. Make it yours. May I follow you with all of my heart. May I fix my eyes on you, Jesus, as long as I live. Right now, I surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church. Can you give God praise?